Hey folks, Dean Douglas here, host of the Simple to Understand podcast. Thanks for joining us. A brief, exciting announcement before I introduce my guest is that this episode, and I hope to do more future episodes like this, is actually watchable on my YouTube channel. Uh, For the first time ever, I actually recorded our conversation through Zoom and posted the full conversation up on my YouTube channel. So for those who enjoy watching and listening to podcasts, that option is available now. And uh, you're also welcome to just listen to the podcast as well. So whichever format you enjoy listening or watching, I'll just say digesting podcasts, um, both options are available for you. And now a brief intro into my guest. So my guest today is actually Martin, who also goes by Marty, Addy. And he's a business owner. He owns uh, or he started up his own business not too long ago, which we don't talk too much about actually, but it is, you can find it over at www.ledupgrades.ca. He owns a LED upgrade business very very interesting business model and uh, you can go over there and check it out for more information on what that's all about but we don't talk too much about the specifics of his business per se but more about entrepreneurship in general this episode we cover a lot but we do spend quite a bit of time talking about entrepreneurship partnerships trusting your gut and intuition COVID, as it is, uh, the, the day that we recorded this was yesterday, which was Thursday, May 14th. So COVID is still very real for all of us. So we spend some time talking about that in many different respects. We talk about creativity, playfulness, and much more. And I will leave it at that. Uh, Don't forget to hit subscribe on whichever podcast platform you are listening on. And as with all episodes, show notes to this episode and others can be found over at www.simpletounderstand.com. And without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with my buddy Marty. Cheers. All right, we are live. Marty, thanks for coming on the podcast. You got it, man. So uh, why don't we start with doing just a quick intro and uh, tell tell our listeners and viewers, because this will be uh, viewable, a little bit uh, about yourself. I think you should tell us a bit about yourself, Dean. Oh, we will. We will. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a little bit of both. Um, Okay, well, you just flip that on its head. Um, so I'm Dean, and uh, let's see what do, what can I share that I haven't shared already. Um, well, I think something that we have in common is that we both recently moved to BC in the last year. So we're we're new to BC. We're both from Manitoba, uh, but you're originally from BC originally, isn't, isn't that right? Not true. No, from oh, Winnipeg. No? Yeah, from oh, Winnipeg. Yes. But but I did live out on the island for about ten years before uh, before going back to Winnipeg. And right, then, and um, then now you're back again. Thankfully, thankfully. So why? Well, 
Okay, well, let's just start there. Why, what, what caused you guys to move back to BC? Well, my wonderful partner, Joanna, mm -hmm. uh, works in the school, so she could take a job just about anywhere. And I had just exited my first business and was looking to go anywhere but Winnipeg. So we had essentially said, well, I had said actually, that uh, if she picks any city outside of Winnipeg, Regina, or Saskatoon, that we could move there. And thankfully she wanted to move to Vancouver. So we, uh, we packed our shit and we moved, we moved on. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, yeah, the, it came out a little sooner than, uh, than we were planning. Is that right? We, yeah. We had initially thought that we were going to stay in Winnipeg for another year. And we were in Tofino of last March for spring break back when we were still allowed to travel. And we were just on the beach one day and it was March and March and April, as you know, are just unbearable months in Winnipeg in the winter that doesn't end and it's still snowing and it's been snowing for eight months. And we had like one or two days left in our trip and we were about to sign a lease for a beautiful apartment that we were really excited to move into in Winnipeg. And we were going to stay one more year and then we'll go to Vancouver. And it was just a gorgeous day. And we were on the beach uh, with a couple of friends who live, uh, who live here in Vancouver. And we just said, fuck it. <laughs> Let's move. And we, so we did. Uh, we we, we uh, reached out to a leasing agent and I'd already filled, filled out all of the application and everything and was about to submit it. And he said, ah, you know what? I'm really sorry, but if we were going to stay in Winnipeg, we'd live there, but we're going to move to Vancouver. And she said, I totally get it. I lived there for 20 years. Have fun. And it was, it was a cool moment. That's awesome. And uh, for just to give some context as well, uh, Joanna and Jade, my, uh, my wife, know each other because they're both speech language pathologists. And that's how we originally got connected as well is, is through them. Um, and what uh, you guys have been in in vancouver for about a year or a little bit no not yet here. not yet no no maybe six months although it's hard to tell like this covid19 thing is such a time warp it's like i don't even you know what i mean i don't know if it's if it's last tuesday or if it's next next thursday uh <laughs> but i we, we moved here at the end of august end of august okay yeah and then settled in quite quickly yeah yeah, yeah. as i'm sure you did yeah and what uh, what are like some of the some of the things that you love uh, just about living in Vancouver and just just from west coast to central part of Canada? What what are some of the things that you really really love out there? Paying rent. Mm. Paying rent here is the best. Yeah, it's really yeah. premium. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a joy. Um, <laughs> no, but as you said, you get what you pay for. I was, uh, I was joking with a friend uh, who I hadn't talked to in a while from Toronto and I let him know I had moved here. And he said, holy man, like, isn't the cost of living there just insane? And I, I kind of thought about it. I'm like, yeah, but isn't like living the one cost maybe you shouldn't skimp on, you know, like being alive, living? So like, yeah, I guess the cost of living is insane, but uh, <laughs> what, are, what are the options? Uh, yeah, yeah. but no, we, we, we lucked out and found a beautiful place uh, in Kits, you know, hmm. two blocks from the beach. Mm -hmm. So we love walking down to the beach. I can walk down on my moccasins in the morning. Mm -hmm. Still looking like a weirdo because it's not like we're on the beach. So I still got to trek through, you know, 
two two blocks of of the city before uh before I get down in the water but yeah walking down the beach catching the sunset yeah uh, yeah yeah it's We've been beautiful with some nice weather now thankfully yeah. after uh like the rumors are true it rains in Vancouver you know you don't have to shovel it but it it rains it rains a lot yeah um and it's you know it's bearable because now it's uh, now it's, it's it's a beautiful summer and we're outside to the degree that uh, our our governments allow. Yeah, yeah. And how how has uh, how has it been with? I know we had chatted a few weeks back, and we were lucky enough to come visit you guys a few months ago, kind of right before COVID really broke out. I think that was in. February or it might have been March when when we came out to see you guys and then how how has it been yeah in Vancouver with COVID and maybe just more on like a you know macro and personal level for for you guys and for you probably like anywhere it's been eerie how like the city is just it just ceases to be a city Mm-hmm. Uh, and to see it kind of return to life has been really nice. Um, and, but for me personally, like I, I work from home generally when I, when I got into this business, we, like I got rid of the office space, um, and started working from home exclusively, you know, and only using, using, um, employees or contractors remotely. So it wasn't a huge change there, more of a change for Joanna having to work from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but we set up a nice desk in the living room and, you know, yeah. So now it's, yeah, well, <laughs> uh, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I don't want to bite my tongue and leave it there. It's been good, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and then what, uh, what sort of things have you guys been able to do outside of like getting outside of the house? What have you guys been able to do to just get through this very strange time that we're living in right now? Not much. Yeah. (laughs) Really? No, 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 but I'm thinking about it. Yeah, not much. Watching more TV than I probably have, reading more than I have too, which is nice. Yeah. Certainly not working more than than I I ever have. Yeah. Has working working from home sorry, uh, has working from home changed? Like, has, has it changed a lot for you? Because you, you, you were doing it pre-COVID already. Were there big changes that you had to make or kind of business as usual? No, I mean, as far as the working life goes, it was business as usual. Yeah. I mean, like to give people some context. So in our space, we do LED lighting upgrades for industrial properties, mostly manufacturers. Um, and they're pretty capital intensive projects. So capital budgets dried up almost immediately, you know, for any, any major facilities. Thankfully we had some work in the pipe. So we were able to ride it out and I don't know if we're going to, if we're going to jump right into some business stuff, but maybe one of the, one of the most important realizations that I've had that's come out of the, that I'm grateful for is having our like low fixed costs this time around, you know, in my last business, we we would have been done, you know, without a doubt when we had, you know, say 50 or 60 grand a month of expenses 
between you know warehouse and office and employees and advertising and whatnot and now it's a dream you kind of just yeah it lets the pressure out of the balloon a bit because we were able to get fixed costs you know down to virtually nothing you know a couple thousand bucks a month um, as damage control and in, in that kind of environment it, you can ride it out right you really you really can so taking a little more of a conservative conservative approach this time around was uh was something that i'm grateful for and and i think a lesson that i'll take with me because mm-hmm. we love to look at these events as these like isolated you know black swan events you know if we like nasim nicholas talib but it, it's not at all and it pisses off he gets pissed off when 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 people call this a black swan event because it's not it's not a black swan event at all like pandemics have been happening forever they they will continue to happen they'll get to happen at an increasing frequency you know now that airplanes are vectors for disease uh, this shouldn't surprise anyone is, is sort of his take on it and i think um experiencing the first recession really in my you know in my career uh, certainly as a business owner i don't think i in 2008 i, I even uh, was was aware enough to realize what was going on. You know, I was probably seeing how many beers I could drink in a night. And uh and and this time around, it's uh it's it's interesting to observe it for the first time and, and trying not to be so emotionally attached to the outcome, as difficult as that is, you know, by no means, you know, am I am I above the regular fear of uncertainty and you know and and ruin that likely everyone uh is, is thinking about, particularly business owners. Mm-hmm. And what uh, you talked a little bit about what your business is now, but what going back, what was what was the business that you ran or businesses that you've you've ran in the past? Yeah, well, the first business that I ever owned was was only a few years ago. It was called Manitoba Lighting, um, and I had fallen into that. A friend owned it. I ended up buying half of it from him. You know, really early on, it was a startup, and we we built this thing. It was a rocket ship, but, uh, like all rocket ships, it was doomed to fall apart rather, rather quickly. (laughs) And, uh, after learning the other critical lesson that every entrepreneur has to learn once or maybe twice, uh, we didn't have a shareholders agreement that we had actually executed. You know, it was a thing that we had always talked about and we had drafted, but we didn't, and we didn't draft enough to have the, uh, have, you know, intent demonstrated legally. So it really wasn't, in effect, it was non-existent, and that as soon as there was the first sign of trouble, um, that that put us in that put us in uh, in, a, in a tricky situation, because at the moment, at least it felt like this for us. The, the moment that we started to need a shareholders agreement to rely on to provide some guidelines for what an exit or just guiding principles for uh, for how partnership difficulties might be handled, the moment you need those. It's, it's too late. You can't, you can't put it in. So I think I would have uh, even just written, you know, a Crayola contract. I think as uh, I think Gavin McInnes calls it, he's a comedian turned provocateur. Uh, just a, yeah, a monster of a man, but he's, he's quite funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this idea of the Crayola, Crayola contract, like even if it's an 11, you know, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper that you write in crayon, uh, having that that you both sign that has you know three or four things that three or four disaster situations that should they ever arise you have a plan to to, to exit and i think that would be would have been invaluable mm-hmm. but instead we got a lesson you know 
Yeah. You learn, you learn from lighting piles of money on fire. (laughs) Yeah. Anything in writing is better than uh, nothing in writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Anything in writing is better than, than 25 pages of, uh, of, of templates that you download and read and re-download and reread and, and never do anything about. Yeah, for sure. Crayola. I like that. That's uh, mm. when in, when in doubt, whip out the crayons and, and draw something up. Yeah. Just do something, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, actually this is something that I wanted to dive into a little bit because I've spoken to a number of people. This has kind of come up from multiple business owners. Um, that I've chatted with probably over the last few months is actually partnerships. And specifically, I think that story is uh, unfortunately not unique to just your situation, but I think pretty common. How dare you? I know, I know. (laughs) And, uh, and wanted to talk about maybe some takeaways or things aside from the Crayola contract, but things that you would maybe look for, or uh, provide insight on for other people that are looking to start a business and maybe partner up with someone. And I have a couple thoughts on this as well, but I want to hear your your feedback or suggestions or you know some some good kind of litmus tests to to people out there that want to start a business and what sort of things they should be looking for before partnering up and signing the, the dotted line. I would read the book, Simple Numbers. I think I've, I've given you that book. Uh, I would start there. I think one of the first chapters talks about owner compensation. And I know this topic I'm sure has been beaten to death by people much more experienced or, or wise than me. Um, but I think the lesson that I got out of it is that having very clear, you can always revise it, but having very clear expectations about what people will be doing and what they'll be compensated for doing that. Because different roles earn different salary. Like for example, if you're, if you have a partner who's responsible for sales, that person is going to earn or should at least earn significantly more than someone who's in operations or, you know, or, or not selling, right? What have you. Cause it's just the uh, market-based wage approach for ownership, I think makes a lot more sense. And was something that we, that, that at the start, at least we, we had failed to, to implement where if, if, if you are the, if you're a full-time salesperson in your company, what would you have to pay someone else to do that? You know, that role. And if you don't have the cash, that's, that's fine. You know, you can still track that in terms of sweat equity or something, you know, in your, in, in the back end of your books. So you the company doesn't necessarily have to pay that to you, but it, it should owe it to you. And it should be documented because otherwise you're, you're a volunteer and you don't really have a viable business um, if, if it's just run on, on volunteer effort. And it's going to lead to a lot of tension if someone feels the other is earning too much or, or one partner feels they're not earning enough. Even if you are doing the roles that you, that you should be doing, right? Even if you're in the right, the right role, if you have one, one partner who's a, who's a great technical, technical co-founder and one who's a great salesperson, great. You know, you're, you're lucky, but those are two very different jobs. And, and even if the equity split doesn't represent the work that you do on the day to day, uh, compensation, I think if, if I, if I partner again, you know, that, that's, that's something that I would certainly think about, um, more thoughtfully. 
Yeah. And uh, um, so for, for partnerships, one thing that I've been thinking of, because I actually got approached recently with, or I just had a conversation with someone about partnerships. And I think one thing that I had mentioned was trying to find out if if the other partner is going to be a good fit or not. I mean, you nailed it on the head with, I think, just clear communication and laying out expectations right at the get-go. And then also trying to figure out what what the other partner or person's intent is. And I don't know if there's certain questions other than just be like outside of just being direct and being like, why do you want to start this business? But maybe finding ways to draw out maybe learning about the other person's characteristics and what, what their intentions are. Because I think when one thing that I found interesting during this COVID is that it's been very revealing to see how people are reacting in a time of crisis and shit hitting the fan. That's all. That's often when, uh, unfortunately, like some true colors are kind of revealed and um, people's real intentions are brought forth. And not to put maybe a potential partner in like some crisis mode, and then it's like, oh, that's their intent. But I think just being aware and trying to look for intention, I think is really important. And I've been listening to quite a bit of Gary Vee lately. And I know he talks a lot about intent. Just at, he values that really high in terms of hiring people. And I think that is brilliant because I don't think a lot of employers might look at that or rate that super high that that skill set or value as something that's important but often it's it's very very important because that's kind of at the core of like what people's um like motives are at um do you think that would have potentially helped you in some sense if if like going back looking and i don't know all all, all the context but do you think spending some time doing like clear communication and then maybe laying out some intentions in the very early stages might have, have benefited or not as much. I think that idea rests on two assumptions that, that might prove to be pretty shaky ground. First, that people actually know what their intentions are. Right. And then of course the caveat that, that, that they'd be willing to share them or that you could actually suss them out whether they share them or not. Mm. Cause I think at least in my case, like our intentions individually as business owners changed quite frequently as I think, I, I imagine that's common. I don't, I don't know that it, maybe it's, maybe our experience was, was a little closer to, to, to the extreme end of that having a, a high degree of flexibility in, in those intentions, perhaps just because of, because of our, our character. But I think, yeah, knowing, knowing what your intention is, is, is one thing, but then, and then this, 
the second assumption that the intentions don't change, right? Like they, I think, I think that that might be really difficult, or at least I think we would have had a difficult time. That said, had we put those intentions down on paper, uh, it likely still would have been a, a great starting place. And if they changed, putting them down on paper again, <laughs> you know, likely would have saved a lot of legal bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, having something to lean back on, right? Just to have like some certainty, right? Because it's always uncertain. And I, the the realm of 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 any startup is such an uncertain one and anywhere you can add just a an ounce of certainty is is invaluable i i, I in, in in my experience mm. my yeah my my short meager experience but but it's uh it's been a wild one mm -hmm. and you came from uh your your previous company also had up to how many employees we had 10 10. The, we had 10 at the peak. Yeah. Probably like a year and a half in. Yeah. So we scaled up way too fast. Ultimately, you know, we kind of wanted to take over the world and started a second company, uh, about a year. Yeah. About a year in, maybe a year and a half hmm. with the idea of, of starting BC lighting out in BC. Cause I wanted to live here at some point And I, you know, I knew that mm -hmm. and, and by taking, you know, we sort of hired the team and, you know, we had a GM in place and a sales team and a marketing person and an admin, admin and a projects manager and all of this. Just, just in our own naivety, we thought that it would just work. You know, mm. like, great teams in place. Let's go start BC lighting. We'll do it again. And, mm -hmm. you know, know, maybe four or five months later, right. We had, we had lit like $300,000 on fire and, in, in salaries and, and had no sales coming in. And it was, you know, it was kind of, it was a, it was shocking, right? So we're like, okay, so yeah, that war chest of cash is gone. And now we have to figure out what the hell we're going to do. And then, yeah, it puts the, it puts the pressure on. Yeah. What, yeah. um, what, what has helped you in making difficult decisions as a business owner? And I realize that's kind of vague, but I imagine that you have to make a, quite a lot of difficult decisions um, that you probably don't want to make. Um, maybe that's like letting staff go or whatever, fill in the blank, but what sort of things have, have you learned or, or has helped you in like making really tough decisions? The lesson that keeps reappearing hmm. as far as, making difficult decisions goes is this, this idea of like trusting instinct and gut. Cause I think that's like a way older part of the brain than, you know, our prefrontal cortex where we try to rationalize and, and, and think our way out of all these solutions that like intuitive, we probably already know, we don't know why, you know, we might want to take a year explaining this or building some story around why we feel a certain way before we act on it. But in my experience, the, my gut has been right way more often than I gave it credit for. And I'm trying to, to, to trust that a lot more, even though it's a total shot in the dark, like everything, right? Like we never know. There's no answers, you know, even, even right. The people in the books we read or people we see on TV and you know, everybody's just kind of floundering around, bumping into walls. And, and I think just remembering that. And, and if, if you let your gut, you know, uh, guide you as to which ball, which walls to bump into. Maybe, uh, 
you know, maybe in, in, in the long run, those decisions will, will solve a lot of those problems before they become problems. So, so how do you, how do you listen to that? Well, well I don't, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that, that's why it keeps reappearing. Yeah. But it, yeah, I, I don't know if you figured out, let me know. Cause that's, a, yeah. I don't know what your gut is saying. So, you know, you just gotta, yeah. you no, gotta if you figure out the answer. Yeah. If you figure out how to trust it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just it's it's those small those small signals that you know that we all get. Whether it's your conscience, you know, call it whatever you want. There are certain certain things that feel right, not in a hedonistic way or or not in terms of like satisfying the ego, but something about it feels right. You know, whether it's a moral stance or 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 a good decision that's good for you and the people around you. And it's often not the easy thing in my experience, and maybe that's why I've 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 had so many, uh, so many, uh, difficult encounters with it. You know, it's, it probably is the harder, more difficult, you know, maybe it's a difficult conversation that you want to avoid or, you know, the decision that's a lot of work, but there's something about it that, you know, that instinctually feels right. And I'm trying to do a better job of, uh, of, of heeding that, that, that siren, but you know, baby steps. Well, similarly, I think you, you, you and uh, Joe listened to it in, in moving. And you're totally right. And we were actually reflecting about that just, just, I don't know, a week or two ago. And in terms of, of the COVID quarantine, like had this happened, maybe we wouldn't have moved to Vancouver at all. And we're already so grateful we did. Like it was, it was certainly the right decision for us. You know, I think that we are, we're in a great spot and, and you probably feel the same. Like I, I think, you know, you like at the moment you got, you got out West for you, it was the right decision. And I think you knew that. Right. And it may have taken you guys a while, but the same thing for you guys, like you made a snap decision and all of a sudden we got a, I remember getting a text from, from, from you or, or maybe it was Jade who texted Joanna and just said, Hey, we're moving to BC. Like, Oh, that's, oh, yeah, we're selling our house and moving. Oh, that's, just, that's crazy. Yeah, no, and it was it was quick, but actually, we had a very similar experience to you guys, where uh, it was two years ago. We also went to Tofino on vacation, and we've gone two Honey. times. We've gone two times to Tofino, and it is it is like paradise. Is heaven? Yeah, on there's the something earth. in the air there, right? It's like you can't, yeah. you know, like not to get like mystical or spiritual or too like woo woo about it, but there's, there's something about that place that, yeah. that's just magic. And you like, you get it, you know, and you walk out on the beach there, it's just like, there's something about it. Yeah, it's, it is, it is a magical place. And we've gone, we've gone twice. And the last time we went, it was, we went in the summertime and it was just so beautiful. And then, so we kind of already had, imagined in our minds oh man bc is really nice um we had considered tofino but the tough tough thing with tofino is real estate and finding a place to live and work is uh both are kind of scarce so yeah all those all those little things all those little things (laughs) and there's just there's too many too many big roadblocks or barriers that would have had to taken a lot of work to, to, to move them out of the way to make it happen. And then when we, 
came out to the Okanagan, I'd say two or three times over the, over the past three years. Um, and, and last summer we also did a trip out here and we were just like, Oh man, this is really nice. Like, this is a nice lifestyle. Like people actually live like this out here. That's amazing. Like they, yeah, we have those moments all the time too, man. Like you're just like, like, I can't believe we live like this. Yeah. We live, we live here. Yeah. Cause it just always seemed like a vacation, like a, like an impossibility. Like how, like people actually live here. It's bizarre. Year year round. Year round. Yeah. It's bizarre. Right. Like it's still like, you still, it still is like a strange dream. Like, you know, like you step outside, what, like, what is this? You know, like the trees, the trees are, have flowers instead of leaves and, you know, mint grows between the cracks and the sidewalks. It's just, it's, it's bizarre. It's Candyland. It is. It is. And we actually had kind of two choices for us to move out to BC. It was either going to be over Christmas this past December, um, over Christmas holidays, or wait until June next month, once the school year ended, and then move out then. And had we had not moved when we did and waited, we probably wouldn't be out here. We wouldn't be moving out anywhere. We'd be stuck in Winnipeg until COVID died down and, you know, work would have been totally different. And uh, I'm so, so glad that we were able to move when we did. And yeah, it was very weird. And there's some, some negatives to moving to a new city and not, knowing that many people are getting out to meet new people yeah, particularly when you when it's illegal to be within 10 feet of somebody right? yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah there's that um and you know now would have been the time that we would have started joining like i would have joined a soccer team or a rock climbing group or whatever and start getting into the community i think we've done a really good job and we've you know joined um some organizations and and uh have started to meet people through ways that we can which is which has been great but um i don't know i guess in our gut we just were like yeah let's just let's just do it now as opposed to doing something later so what about that though like unpack that a bit like how did you know in your gut like what 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 made you what made it seem or like what was the what was the final kind of you know the the final penny that tipped the balance and 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 made you guys in your, in your gut know that this was the time? Well, there was definitely, uh, I mean, Jade got a, a really great job opportunity. So that was a huge domino that was tipped and made it that much easier to move. Um, it's hard to articulate and like wrestle with trying to verbalize your gut. It's just a feeling. Um, but if I had to try and unpack it, um, and not overcomplicate it, and keeping things like simple, I think just the the lifestyle change was. Winnipeg's a very Winnipeg's a great city, um, but as they say, everything before the butt is bullshit. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> but. 
Um, it is, and I love it too. So I'm allowed to say that nobody else can can talk shit about our about our city. That's right. We we are the greatest shit talkers of our own city. You know. Yeah. No one else is allowed to talk smack. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's our town. No, it's a, it's a great city, but I find that it is too comfortable sometimes. And the things that you can do in Winnipeg are go out to eat and you know great food culture lots of amazing restaurants but lifestyle wise we love spending time out in nature you're i forget who said it like in in winnipeg you want to have a bigger house which you can afford because you spend half the year inside your house and whereas you can live in other places in the world in very small amount of space because you're out even new york city right you like 300 micro loft square feet apartments is fine because you're in new york and you're not gonna spend a lot of time inside you're gonna go outside you're gonna explore the city whatever yeah. unless right? it's march april may or june 2020 then you're, then you're gonna get to know that apartment pretty well yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah that's that's another layer yeah. of but there's again it's an exception to the rule yeah yeah. Um, and I don't know, I just think, yeah, out, out here you can, you know, your, your space can be a lot less and then outside it's, it is a candy land. It's just, it's absolute paradise. I feel like Jade and I were talking about this earlier today cause we went for a hike that we're in this weird kind of like episode of black mirror, you know, like, like we're here, we're living here, but there's all this craziness going on with like the world and like how the communities are and cities are like functioning right now and it just feels like we're in some sort of simulation it's just it's weird it's weird <laughs> so but anyways we're we're happy to be in this simulation um you know wouldn't have it any other way that that's that yeah you're gonna be stuck in one regardless so you might as well you might as well be in the one you choose yeah yeah exactly. as opposed to the one that chooses you yeah, I think one thing though that I have been, um, and I don't know, maybe I've practiced this muscle more than, um, I don't know, not to compare, maybe I've just practiced this muscle quite a bit is, you know, a lot of people are afraid of making big changes, whether that's change your job, whether that's, um, I don't know be in a different relationship, move like big stuff, um, out of fear. But I am more afraid of stagnant, like mediocrity than I am. And like comfort, like I, I, I don't, there's something to sure being comfortable, but I would rather go the route of that's a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to, I'm going to lean into that as opposed to go the opposite direction because usually a little bit of that unknown, there's, there's going to be something once you dip your toes into it, that's probably going to surprise you and not be as fearful as you think it is. Yeah, exactly. The anticipation yeah. of anything is always, is always worse than the outcome. Yeah, I read a book over uh, last year, and actually it was around the time that we were talking yeah, about it. It takes moving. me about a year to read a book, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, it was called the War of Art, not the yeah. art, of, not the art of war, but the I know war it. Of art. You yeah. know it. I have. I haven't read it, but I just bought it. Okay, it's an amazing book, and he taught. He spends quite a bit of time, like four, I don't know, fifty, seventy pages. It's an easy read, short. I don't know, a little bit over a hundred pages, but he spends about seventy pages talking about fear, and he divi- he defines fear in many different ways. And one thing he talks about is the more fear you have towards something or, or resistance, that's something that could probably be higher on your list of like, it's a big priority. So you should get, you should tackle that first kind of like what is the leading domino that's going to erase, you know, Tim Ferriss talks about making the one decision that will eliminate 99 others. And sometimes that one big domino has the most amount of opposition. So you want to actually tackle that first. So anyways, I love that book. And I kind of keep that in mind now. If I kind of check myself, if I am starting to feel uh, uncomfortable about a decision that I have to make, and it's like, and, it, and maybe I'm procrastinating or putting it off, putting it off. But if it keeps coming back, it's like kind of the intuition in the back of my head that's just saying, do it, just do it. You'll feel better once this is done and you've, you know, tackled it head on. Yeah, but that's that, that's that gut thing. Yeah. Right. That's that feeling like there's something about it that you're avoiding. Yeah. Right. But you've found a way to, 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 yeah, sprint through it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. What, um, what made you start your very first business? Well, the first, the very first one I didn't start, right. My, uh, my, my former partner had started it a few months before I, before I joined and, and, and partnered in, but, and that one was just opportunity, right? It, It was the same industry largely, but you know, he had recognized an opportunity and I saw the opportunity there as well. I think that comes with a certain amount of danger. We've, we've discussed this, this quote before, as opposed to like, instead of thinking about, you know, a, a, a product or service that the world needs, right? Think about what would make you feel alive and do that. Cause what the world needs is people who've come alive. I think it's a Henry Thurman or anyway. Um, that idea, I think it's dangerous to just pursue opportunity because you'll end up where, where I think I was you know, not long ago where maybe to a degree still am where like I've got a objectively pretty good business, right? I understand it pretty well. It's simple. Fixed costs are low. Um, as soon as, uh, as, as I imagine soon we'll return to profitability, (laughs) but, but in the meantime, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to kill us. So, so we can wait it out. But I think you, yeah, you end up in this 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 sort of spot where something about it isn't isn't meaningful, right? Like for for this journey to be sustainable, and I'm sure you'll, I think you'd agree. Like, there's got to be something more than just money, unless money is that is is a is a good enough motivator for you, because then what I found is like in moving to BC, like I, I think. Five years ago, I would have made a list of all these things that I wanted to 
I wanted to have, right, or achieve. And, and those would be that, would, you know, those would be the requirements for happiness, right? And having, having now checked those boxes, right? It's like, you know, incredible relationship that I'm grateful for. And living in the city that is probably my first pick in the world, at least, at, you know, at this point, I don't, I don't you know, I, I wanted to be here. I wanted to be my own boss, per se. I ultimately own my time, you know, and, and then be at least financially secure enough to not worry about, about, about paying bills or, you know, about basic day-to-day stuff and, and having gotten there. And this is where your idea of comfort, I think is, 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 can be such a, can make you the victim of, of, of achieving your own goal. Right. Cause now it's like, like, what is the driver? Right. Cause if it's no longer just money, right. And, and business can be, can, so quickly become one dimensional like that. Like it's just the pursuit of profit and certainly was not that that's not a sustainable pursuit for me. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think I'm alone in that. Like I'm not mother Teresa, right. I don't, I don't think, like, I think everybody probably needs to connect to something a little deeper. And if your business is going to consume a large part of your life, as it's probably going to, Mm -hmm. if, if, if you choose to go this route, if, if it's not something that you connect with, on a level beyond, right? Beyond the, the dollars and cents of it, then, then you, you'll start to feel pretty uninspired. I mean, I did. Yeah. Three things come, come to mind actually really recently. The first is a quote from Jim Carrey and he says, I wish everyone got as much money and fame as they wanted and then realize that that's not the answer to happen. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And he would know. I mean, um, and then the second thing is actually, so I've been doing, uh, over the last two weeks, a daily vlog where I record myself on my phone. That just like, sounds so uncomfortable to me. Like just the yes, thought of having yes. to do that. Yeah. For, <laughs> for 10 to 20 minutes and I share thoughts that have been going on in my mind that day or things that are just, you know, in my head and I'm getting them out. And yes, it is uncomfortable and it's weird to just talk into your phone because you don't get that instant feedback until I post it. And I've been sharing it on my YouTube channel on LinkedIn, which I think people would be like, why are you sharing that on LinkedIn? Like that's like a professional network. Um, And I talk about, why I shared that in one of my videos on LinkedIn. Um, But one day, one of my videos, I talk about this thought experiment that popped into my head. And it was, uh, it was a thought experiment and I titled it, what do you want? And I was just thinking, I don't know, before bed, I think the night before of, I wrote down just in my phone, a list of things that I, I want. Okay. So I started with the more materialistic things. And then as I got further and further down the list, it came to be more of the things that I actually want. Right. Cause at first it's like, I want money. Okay, cool. And then all I the beanie babies. Right. Yeah. I yeah, either one. Totally. All the holographic Pokemon cards. Yes. Got those collections down. Totally. But usually it's the things that first come into your mind of like what you want that, um, 
sometimes is like just more dreams or you know like yeah like i don't know lamborghini sweet yeah that that would be awesome but but every time i imagined that thing that thing on my list i imagined getting it right away instantly so i want a lamborghini okay there it is it's out of my driveway i imagined two million dollars okay i got that then then what what's next right i just i kept going and i kept peeling away the layers and by the by the seventh time the seventh list on my item it was it was um more spending time outside and it was enriching relationships with people and it was things that i could a lot like easily attain and it was cheaper and i was like oh well this is and ironically it's probably the things that you do anyway it's probably exactly what you're doing yeah <laughs> right? yeah and, yeah and so, like you already have those things dummy yeah so yeah totally and so i was just like oh okay well i'm just gonna keep going going that route and um Anyways, that, that was like just a, a thought experiment that I thought. That's a really cool, that's a really cool experiment. I, I could see that because by, by actually trying to like, like put yourself in the situation where you have it and, and visualize that. Cause like, then what? Like, okay, great. You, Dean wants a Lamborghini and it's, it's in the driveway. Okay. Mm -hmm. He goes for a drive. You know, that was fun. Right. Like now what, like, like what, what? What is the thing really doing for you? And then, because you, you, really, you're, you'd probably be sitting in your room doing exactly what you're doing now, right? Like the Lamborghini just happens to be in the driveway because what do you do? Drive the fucking thing 20 hours a day? You know, you're going to lose interest in that so quickly. And, and I think as soon as you pretend you have it, that's pretty neat. Okay, do you remember your third thing? Um, I, I could, I could. If you have it, I want to interject because you said two of the three. You said the Jim Carrey thing. You said this other exercise. Oh, third, third thing was yeah, third real, thing. real estate. Ah, and that's something that I think I will continuously want over time up to a point when I don't want to manage a bunch of real estate and then I'll just sell it off as kind of like that that'll that'll be my long-term investment and then I can just sell them off and live off the money that I've made in in real estate um third thing was yeah Dean I think that's a really cool um, I think for anybody who who is pursuing the entrepreneurial journey, like it doesn't come with a lot of security, right? And we know that. And and at, at least in my like in my experience, like I have a couple of small little real estate investments as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of like my strategy early on was to just live paycheck to paycheck ultimately by buying, by, by having bought assets, you know, so like still stretching myself out. So I didn't have as much money to waste. I still wasted the, the little money I did have. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but this idea of, of, for, of, of buying assets instead of things, right. And, 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 and still living pretty tight, you know, so like it wasn't particularly comfortable, but now like I have a couple of properties that are tenanted and are paying themselves off. And in 25 years, Right, like if if everything goes sideways and I never make a dollar in any of my businesses, great. Like at least I still have a retirement, you know. Or worse yet, I have a place to live, and and I think that real estate, like there there's something profound about the simplicity of that for for someone who's pursuing you know the journey that that you and I are. We're like, okay, well everything else goes to shit. At least I have you know I have something, and and it's relatively safe and secure, 
And, and that's, that has brought me some peace of mind and I think has enabled me to take other risks. Totally. I would rather, yeah. I, I don't know. I would rather invest money in real estate on under a million dollars on, on, in a real estate deal than I would investing a thousand dollars in the stock market. Yeah. I've lost, I've lost money on every single, single stock I've ever bought. Hmm. Like if I buy a single stock, it's just a guarantee. It's just a matter of how much I'm going to lose uh, and when. But with all the real estate stuff, like whether it was, you know, doing private lending, you know, where like taking out a line of credit and then basically like leverage investing and lending it to someone who's going to flip or develop houses, did that for a bit. That worked out really well. You know, those things with like really predictable, simple cash flows. Like, okay, he's going to pay 1% a month on whatever you give. And it's just going to be a check and it's physical and you can feel it, right? As opposed to this, this esoteric kind of stock market thing that you really have to be good at, I think. And I'm just not, right? Like I, I have, you know, I studied business, I studied finance. I have a decent idea of how markets work. But like you're playing, you're, you're, you're sitting down at a poker table against pros. Mm-hmm. And I, so many people forget that. Like if you want to play the stock market, I think that for, for the average person, you know, like buying the index or wealth simple or whatever is, is, is going to prove to be a, a, a much better strategy just in its simplicity because I'm going to buy a stock because someone, you know, a friend tells me to buy it and he's been reading all about it and he knows it. And then I'm going to buy it maybe 500,000 bucks, you know, again, not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to kill me to lose it. And then he's going to sell it because he knows what's coming. And then he's not maliciously, but he'll probably forget to tell me to sell it because, you know, I only put 500,000 bucks or whatever, and then I'm going to lose all of my money or 60% of it. And then it's, once you've lost 60 or 70%, you're just like, fuck it. You let it ride. Right. Like what do you, you know, you're not going to, uh, at that point, you know, you're going to let it ride to zero. At least I, that's my, my philosophy. So yeah, the real estate game has been a much better compliment to, to the entrepreneurial journey. I think even, even on the small scale, right? Like you don't need much, you know, in Canada, especially in Winnipeg, right? Like my first, the first condo I bought, like I've had to put $10,000 down. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. new condo, you know, one of those converted lofts in that really old, beautiful part of Winnipeg called the exchange district. And it's, it's tenanted. It's, it was, it's cash flowing. It was cash flowing right away. Like it, it really doesn't, you don't need that much money to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think the risks there are much more manageable. Like people think entrepreneurs are crazy risk takers and I just disagree. You know, they're, they're, they're actually much better at, at trying to calculate risk and manage risk than, than taking crazy risk. Yeah, they're able to actually mitigate the downside of risk. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and that's, it's a, yeah, it's much more holistic, right? Like risk isn't just financial. Like you can, like the idea of like, okay, great, well, real estate's a great hedge against a recession or, or inflationary periods generally, as long as you're, you're buying and holding. But then the, the, the non-material risk of like, okay, if everything, if everything about my life goes backwards, I got a place to live. Mm -hmm. Right. Like awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, like that. And that's, that's a great, that's a great hedge against all the other risks you're taking in other areas of your life. Totally. I think, uh, I heard the story of Richard Branson when he started out Virgin Airways. He was actually able to work out a deal with Boeing that if Virgin didn't 
take off, he was actually able to return. I think he bought a hundred seven forty seven jets or something like that. And so it wasn't risky for him because he was able to strike a deal and mitigate his downside. And I think this is me personally looking, talking about the stock market and why I would not invest or be comfortable investing a thousand dollars in the stock market because I, I don't know enough about the game. So using the analogy of poker, I don't know the rules of the game enough to know how to play it well. And what I do know of the game scares me away from even wanting to try and learn it. Yeah. And that's why you still have money to pay rent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And just, I don't know, I've heard of, you know, like the, the, you know, the movies that come out in the, uh, I forget which one either just came out or is about to come out and it's based on a true story. And these guys from, I think Boston dug something like, I don't even know how many hundreds of miles of, uh, they laid down. I don't know if it was, um, like wire or something to connect to New York, to the stock market so that they could get a fraction of a second quicker for doing trades. And that resulted in a stupid amount of money because they were able to actually make totally. And then there's dummies like you and I who are trading on CIBC investors edge or whatever, you know what I mean? Like like, like you want, you want to play against those guys. Exactly. No, no, I don't. Absolutely not. I don't, you know, but like nothing, you know, the balanced portfolio idea of investing in the really long term is a great idea, right? Saving money. Great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, playing I've, I've had nothing, I've had nothing and I still do it occasionally. Like I never learned this lesson, but I do it in smaller and smaller increments, right? Like, but I think like it really is gambling for, for, for people like, like me and, 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 and apparently you. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. Um, I'm going to take a left, left turn here and um, ask you about, I don't know where, where this might go, but what, what is your definition of friendship? Hmm. Or, or, or where did it trust? Yeah, I think that's it. And another lesson that keeps reoccurring in, in business is this idea of, of trust. And, and just how valuable that is, right? Like there are lots of great moral people of, of, of high, you know, integrity out there and choosing to do business with those people instead of the others. And again, it's a gut thing. And, and I've, I'm, I'm seeing this a lot, even just recently in reflecting on it, where the business relationships that I've had a good gut feeling about from day one, in the gut. And usually it wasn't necessarily that profitable for me, like at least at the, at, at the outset, right? Like pursuing the, pursuing the, the help instead of the cash or just like, you know, there's just something about the gut as opposed to the relationship where like, wow, this is a great business decision making this partnership. I don't like the guy as much, you know, or whatever, like, 
You know, there's just something about it. Like you're not going to come right out and say, you can tell he's unethical, say, right. But there's just something, right. There's something there that, that, that gives you that, just that ounce of hesitation. And I think choosing to, to partner with those people and, and the way that that, like that aligns with friendship, I think it is much the same, like this, this trust where like the answer is yes, I've got this, one of my closest friends, um, we've done some, we've done a bit of real estate stuff together. You know, uh, he's invested in, in, in my companies. He, we, we've loaned, he's loaned me money before, right? Like if I needed, needed something to, to make a deal happen and, and it would sound crazy, right. For someone to just like go to the bank and just send their friend 50 grand, just, you know, like no paper, no, right. Like, no, but that, like that level of trust, like, I think that's the thing. Cause he just knows that like, I would, like, I would never not pay him back. You know, like if I, even if I lost all of his money in my business, let's say, like, there's just no way I would ever pay myself before I paid, before I paid him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that like that level of, of trust when you just, and you just know it, it's in the gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I heard uh, a good definition of, of um, it was, it was a similar question. It was like, what the, what do you think friendship means to you? And someone said, Great friends are ones are are ones that remind you of who you are when you might have forgotten. I thought that was pretty good, and that was applicable to 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 their journey. And I'm wondering, outside of trust, what other values you you deem important in the people that you want to surround yourself with? I think being interesting Hmm. ultimately like the sort of like anything but vanilla kind of, you know, like the freaks and weirdos, you know, like I like, like, I like those, you know, like I I like to be surprised. Hmm. Right. And, and, and I'm like the, the eclectic, like I'm not an incredibly eclectic person, but, but I really appreciate, I really appreciate that. Like things that are, that are just odd you know, and that, that, that people who surprise you in what they say or, or, or do, you know, and, it, and it's kind of playful, but there's like, there's some element of, of kind of, yeah, freaks and weirdos where, where you just, it just makes it more fun, you know, and, and there's like that, just that little degree of profundity, you know, where you're like, oh yeah, like that was, that was really, like, that was kind of interesting. And you, and you think about it later and like, you know, you're, you're like laying in bed by yourself laughing, you know, like you, like if, if you're replaying a tape through your head of your friend and you're laughing out loud, right. To yourself, you know, looking like, like, like a, a certifiably insane person, just, just erupting with laughter. I mean, that's such a great sign. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, actually talking about art, you, you, you do have a musical background. A bit. Yeah. So yeah, by no means am I good, but, well, what, <laughs> but I certainly like it. What um, what what do you get from music? What what is what does like music mean to you? It's a great balance against the the business world, where where I think it, it can so quickly and commonly be reduced to numbers, 
Whereas music is this thing that there's like, there's really nothing like musicians can barely make, make ends meet, right? Like they're just doing this thing because they can't not do it. And I just admire that, right? Like, like there, it doesn't make any sense for them to do what they do, right? Logically, but that's, that's the beauty of it, right? Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. You know, like, yeah, they're like, they will sit there for 10 hours practicing something that, that will be, you know, demonstrated for three minutes on stage, hmm. right? And just like having the, if you can stick with that, like if there's something about that, that's, that's, that's got you glued to that effort. I think that's where it is, right? That's, and then we can apply it to anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. I think that that's what I love. What I love so much about it is that there's just something you can't quite explain about it. Mm-hmm. And we've all had that experience, you know, at a concert or a music festival or whatever, listening to a song, you know, you know, late one night where hey, just something happens, right? There's just some little shift, some little realization. It's usually subtle, you know, maybe like analogous to, to meditating for those who, who, are patient enough to, to have stuck, you know, stuck with it long enough to have it. Like it's such a subtle, it's such a subtle, subtle shift. It's so profound and so impactful, but it's so subtle. Like you almost don't notice it. You almost don't notice it. And I think that that the same sort of applies to music and all, all things in like in the, in the realm of, of, of art, things you can't explain. And, and I I just love that because I think it, it adds, it adds a level of, of, of irrationality that is really, is really, is a really nice compliment to, to the business space where, where we can over rationalize and tend to only value things that are rational. And, and in my experience that just got boring, you know, and it's something I'm still wrestling with today. Totally. I think, I think business owners could play more. And I think it should be playful. Yeah. Right. It, it absolutely should. And that this is, this is something that I'm, I'm working on right now. I know you're like, you're really good at this Dean. like, for some reason, like you don't have this, this inhibition that I do. And I think a lot of others do like, for example, like taking a vlog for you is mildly uncomfortable. Like for me, like that's something I, I just, at this point, I could never get over the fear of doing, you know, and just like putting that out there, whatever it is. Like, I don't know what the reason is yet um, of, of why my, I resist that. But, but for some reason, like that's just a sandbox that you're, you're comfortable playing in and like, look how much fun it is for you. Yeah. And actually one of, and I haven't vocalized this yet, but one of the things that good have, um, I came across, I think it might've been a TikTok video, which is hilarious, but, um, yeah, I think it was, and it was, uh, somebody recording this guy who probably isn't like blown up or famous. Um, but they were talking about, I think it was on leadership and people that are in politics and, uh, I don't know, maybe popular people on social media platforms. And they were talking about the people who speak up and vocalize tend to sometimes gather around those people. And sometimes those people are on the fringes, the extremes, right? That's why like I have a trouble, I have trouble sometimes. 
And maybe that's been a fear of mine on sharing content on social media platforms is that now everyone has a voice and they can just throw shit at you digitally and uh, you're, you're throwing it at real people. And I don't know how much of it is bots and real people and whatever, but um, the point that this guy was making is that a lot of loud people are the ones that are getting the attention. And I mean, algorithms probably play a part as well as to like what people are showing. Like, I mean, Trump's your perfect example of just like someone who's just loud vomits all the time, but like, look how much attention he gets. Look, look how much publicity he gets. Look how much time people spend talking about this ridiculous human. And the point of the, his message is that the quiet people are usually the ones that are sitting back. They're taking it all in. They're thinking and they're not speaking up enough. And I'm a fan of Simon Sinek as well. And he was talking about be the last to speak. And he, you know, when you're in a boardroom with people, listen to everyone's point of views, and then be the last one to speak. While I love that, the people that I really like, and listen to as well, on top of Simon Sinek, there are people like Gary Vee, he will interrupt people right away. And often he's cutting through yeah, the bullshit. He's always the last to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's cutting through the bullshit, getting straight to the point and, and not beating around the bush. Um, but he, he is putting out a lot of stuff out there. And um, I mean, Joe Rogan, like I love the Joe Rogan experience. One of the reasons why I started my podcast was through listening to, to him. But he's just like... You know, he's got so much to say and he just, he says everything sometimes to a point where it's just like, it's insurmountable the amount of content that he's produced. Like I can't, I can't digest all of it, but I thought, okay, you know what? I have more things that I want to say. I'm going to start saying them. I'm going to start being more out there and putting myself out there more because. Yeah, so, But how did you do that? Well, like, Warren, how did you just, how did you like, what, what, what's the, what's, what was the actual process of, of starting that? Like, is it baby steps? Is it all at once? Like, like, how did you just, cause I think we'd all benefit from that. You know, like every time I, I, you know, show an ounce of vulnerability, I'm always, you know, paid back with a, with a pound of silver and I, and, and I still, I still have trouble doing it. And I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Most of us do. Yeah. I think for when I started, uh, the podcast. I think I originally started the blog, which was simple to understand. That came first. And I just wanted to, I wanted to share some thoughts and get them out there. And blogging was pretty easy. It was easy to set up a website, write an article, post. And did you put your name on that? I did. Yeah. And, uh, and I think I just wanted to learn how to write better. And I've, I also had some really like interesting projects in college that I thought this would be really good to just like publish and share. And I've always been a fan of public transportation. I've always been fascinated with just how cities get 
large groups of people to navigate from point A to point B. And so I had a lot of thoughts and experience traveling to different cities and, and actually um, trying different modes of transportation in different countries. And Winnipeg's very behind the times in terms of public transport. And it was just something that I thought I have some good thoughts on this. I had written a project in college on improving the public transportation system in Winnipeg. Sure. And my professor said, you should bring this across the street because it was downtown campus and city hall was right across the street. And he said, this, this, like, give this to the city. Like, this is a really good idea. Um, and so I don't know, I just, I, I had some confidence, I guess, from validation from others on like that one topic or area that I felt comfortable sharing. Cause I think what was being shared or done didn't make any sense to me. And sometimes out of frustration or pain or in a, in a bad space, you just like, are like, okay, okay, enough. I'm going to just put out this solution. You know, if you wanted, if you want something done, just do it yourself kind of thing. Um, and I guess the, the blogging helped give me some confidence to then start a podcast, but I didn't know what I was doing when I started a podcast, but I just thought what I was missing too at the time was in like rich relationships and I really envied Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss because I, I could just blatantly see how much joy it brought them getting to talk to these amazing people for an hour and a half to three plus hours and being immersed in digital marketing and social media and how much screen time people were spending I thought, no wonder they're so happy. They're spending time with other people, real people, building real relationships while everyone else is tweeting. Yeah, bingo. Right? So it was obvious to me that this was a fun platform that was a low-cost barrier to enter. And I could start with reaching out to friends and people that I knew and then eventually you could work your way up to the heavyweights like myself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> and, uh, it's just been so enriching. I'm also an extrovert and I get energy from when I talk to sure. people. And so it was also like the podcast just, it, it fit me very well because it gave me energy um, as well as, you know, enriching relationships with, with other people. And I like to learn. I'm curious. I'm a curious person. I want to know what makes people tick, right? I'm like, and I, and I like that about Joe Rogan. He just, you know, and I like how he was able to look at things objectively and disagree and be able to have a conversation with someone 
it taught me a lot. Whereas you don't learn anything when you're on the news or watching the news, right? Because the, the sure. conversation is so not natural. It's like, oh, tell me about this. And they yeah. put on a face and they got all this makeup 15 on. 15 seconds. 15 seconds. And then you get a short snippet answer. And then it's like, oh yeah, let's dive into that a little bit more. You get 10 more seconds. And it's like, okay, thanks. All right. Uh, weather person or whatever. And it's onto commercials or whatever. And it's just, there's no substance there. And it's just so not enjoyable and not how I want to spend time digesting information. So I really like that long, longer format. So that's why I did the podcast. And then these vlogs, um, the, the, just the, the thought of doing it made me uncomfortable. So I did it. That's crazy. But like, so what's the aim there? Like, is it, do you see it as being something that is commercially useful for you or is it, is it just an artistic pursuit? I hope, well, it's definitely artistic. Uh, there's multiple reasons. One is to what I learned through podcasting and will continuously learn. Like I'm always learning each podcast. I learn something, but I've picked up speech ticks words that whenever you re-listen to yourself in audio, sometimes you can be like nails on a chalkboard and you're like, Oh God, I sound like that. Oh man, I say this word too much or whatever. So you learn a lot about communication through just trial and error and just practicing. So I really like that for, for doing an audio podcast. And then I thought I'm going to do a video because then I can watch myself And then I can see how I carry myself, you know, where's my eye contact? Am I looking into, and it's, it's tougher through zoom in that because I'm looking at you, which you're in the middle of my screen. Yeah. yeah. I should be looking at the camera. Exactly. But I should be looking at you through the camera, but then I can't see your reaction at the same time. So it's a little bit of a disconnect there, but I can record myself for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And I'm curious about how I carry myself so that I can improve my mannerisms, my speech. Um, but ultimately, why? why do you, what do you think is the driver of that? Um, like, is it just vanity? No, I was actually going to say it's, <laughs> it's internal. It's not external. I'm not looking for, I, like, I'm not doing it for the likes or to get uh, even to make money, that was never an intent. And I've never made a single cent doing podcasts or vlogs or anything. It's been. Yeah. You've achieved all of your financial goals as they pertain to podcasting and vlogging. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't for any financial gain. My, my intent, my intentions were, were to build relationships, learn personal communication skills, and then um, also learn skills that could help me in marketing as well. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with different businesses or organizations, and I can confidently say now, hey, you, or if I'm involved, we should start a podcast or we should start uh, a vlog now because I've, I've tasted it a little bit and then I can replicate that professional. So like the skill set that I've learned from it can also be duplicated in a professional setting. 
if, sure. if I want to. So it's, you know, learning a new skill set, which is good. Um, so it's a, it's a plus both personally and professionally. Yeah. And to, to round that out, I think you touched on curiosity. And I think that is still one of the most underrated attributes as it, you know, as it pertains to the cliched sense of success and also just living a rich life. Mm-hmm. You know, a curious mind, like, you, you know, a curious mind is never bored, right? A curious mind is, is, is never that idle, always wandering, right? But, but never idle, you know, and maybe that, that little degree of restlessness uh, is so useful. Totally. Absolutely. Um, yeah, curiosity and gut. I think that's definitely two key takeaways from, from this conversation. I think that's like, that's super valuable for, for other people that listen. Um, I think the nice thing too, that, uh, in, I mentioned two things, and I said I was going to mention. Uh, this is circling way back earlier. Yeah, yeah. In the you said a third thing. You never did. So the the third thing, because you had mentioned earlier about the first business that you didn't start but you joined, it was because of opportunity. And one thing, so I just shared uh, my vlog yesterday, and it was on my recommendation on listening to Frank Sinatra during COVID and drop shipping. And I've, and I talk a little bit in the beginning about how I typically read books, you know, similar to you about self-help entrepreneurship, bettering oneself, yada, yada, yada. And then even when I'm browsing or looking online, it's uh, somewhat business related and so I get a lot of ads or my TikTok videos or you know inspiration or whatever and um and I've I've got a lot of drop shipping businesses these influencers or micro influencers or no ones that apparently are making you know like the average joes are marketing themselves and they're making 10 to 30 grand a month and it's easy it's quick cash and all you have to do is set up a shopify business and in a very short amount of time you can make a very like a lot of of money but circling back to what we started talking about earlier about intention yes there's an opportunity there but i talk about how if there's no passion or if if it's not aligned with some sort of personal interest then it's probably going to fizzle out. It's not going to be long lasting. And I also talk about the true economic cost of starting a business that might be lucrative, but so what? It goes back to the things that you really want. And do you stop to think about, okay, you've made a hundred grand in six months selling t-shirts or discs for disc golf because you picked that niche but there's no passion you're no less happier uh, than you were when you didn't have this business and now what right so 
um, I don't know, I guess going, I guess the point is kind of like Simon Sinek's find your why and, and aligning business with, you know, business can give you a lot of things, but it should give you life. I think anything that you pursue should, should excite you in some way and give you life. And I've been saying it in that specific sense, because I think although happiness is important and you should have that along the route and like along the road, I think it's just a, an ephemeral feeling that will fade away like all things. So, but excitement or something that gives you life, I think you'll be able to stick through things and like this podcast, I'm going to do it until it no longer gives me life. This vlog, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to keep doing it because personally I get a be- I, I, the benefits outweigh the cons and I just, I really enjoy it and it gives me some sort of zest and, and I have the time to do it right now during this weird time and, sh- and share things that I think hopefully others will find valuable. So, but I think intention and that excitement piece has to be underscored because too many people are talking about the get rich quick scheme and there is more to life than that if you pay attention to the people that have achieved great success they're they're kind of saying that in different ways and that's what i'm trying to also- yeah so so how do you think then all of us could be more playful in our, in our business pursuits, or even just, just in general, like, like, uh, you know, applying some, some level of, of play as being sort of like a, you know, a process goal. Cause it's fun as you go. Start with, yeah, start there. Like, how, how do you think we could be more playful? Okay. So how, how could we be more playful? One, I think that you need to fail more. I think we've, you need to decondition how we've been brought up, how we've been conditioned. You know, you, you go through school and you're given a, a grade letter. And if it's not up to a standard, then you are, you know, it's, it's got a negative attribute to it and it's a fail. Like, F is failure, and that's the worst grade that you can get. And that's not good. So I think that um, fail more. But I I think, you know, Tim Ferriss has a really good example of one fear. He he gives these fear-setting examples and one of them that i've done a few times is go to a public space (laughs) might not be good to do during covid now that i think of it but go to a public space and just lay down for a period of time and then just get up and then just like continue walking or whatever and i've done that and it's just being getting comfortable with doing something uncomfortable right so i think at a micro level, share a thought, share an idea with someone else and see what their response is. Um, I think 
spending some time by yourself is really helpful. I think listening, uh, like learning about the ego is really important. Um, I read a new earth by Eckhart Tolle when I was like 18 or something. And that was the first time that I had ever really thought about my ego. And I thought, Oh, this is like really interesting. Just the way that he defines it and just how it shed insight into how I interact with other people and provided gave me some insight into being hopefully a little bit more empathetic towards other people's situation. And it's just, it's their ego. It might not be them or what their true self is. It's just their ego. That's, you know, at the forefront. Um, But if you spend some time learning about your ego, then hopefully you can start testing it and just like and there's a difference between like ego and like your gut right and so i think trying trying to understand what what your ego is and when to like i don't know you you, i don't know i i think of like my ego as like a little kid that if i like if it's hurt or whatever i'm just like it's okay you know, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be okay. You're, you'll be fine. It's okay. Like, don't take it so personally. It's not you. Or what can we learn from that? And then let's like grow and move forward. Um, I also think volunteering is really important and spend some time with people that have less than you. And if you spend, yeah, some that's time, interesting. If you spend time with, um, people that that have various different types of disabilities. I I volunteered like in high school with special Olympics and we used to go bowling every other Wednesday and they were so playful and they were so real. I loved how raw and real and honest they were. They would tell you exactly what they thought they would act, how they wanted to act. There was no, there's no ego there and i just loved it like oh this is great and like yeah it's much more authentic yeah and like some people would you know maybe be cautious about like laughing uh i would never say laugh at someone with a disability but like i would laugh at something that they would do funny i think there's a kid but if you found it genuine genuinely funny i think this is kind of ties with political correctness these days yes right where like there's this there's this group that's actually just a loud minority, but they sound like the majority often who are defending a whole bunch of other people's rights, right. Out of, out of their own, their own moral standard. Like they're genuinely trying to do what they believe is right and prevent people from mistreating others. But, but it's leading to this, right. That this phenomenon of, of inauthenticity, because now we're not, you can't, act a certain way even if your intent and intent is so important like intent matters right like if you're laughing at someone because you genuinely thought it was funny right and there's no malice and the irony is that it actually brought you closer to that individual by being real with them 
right? Than by trying to, to, to assume that you know how they feel better than they do and protect those feelings that they may or may not have. That's right. And any time that I, that I have, like I've joined in and laughed and thought it was funny, the, the, that person has, like I've, I've gotten closer with that person. For sure. Because I haven't treated them like someone with a disability. Like they're, hey, they're, you treated them like a human being. Exactly. Right? And, they, and they appreciate that. And, they, and like my relationships have, has, have more than not flourished. And there is no intent in maliciousness in the laughing or, or whatever, right? It's just, uh, and like, here's like a small example, you know, you go, we would go bowling and it was not like, we wouldn't celebrate, um, the, the person who got the highest score. There, there, there was no score, like didn't even need to exist. It was like them getting a ball and rolling it down and getting excited when it went in the gutter or it hit a, a pin and they would like, just, you know, let out emotions and it was a safe space for them to do that. And it was just fun and playful to join in on that. Right. It was just like, you just, you break down all these preconceived notions that you might have of someone with a disability. And I've talked to a number of people that are say in wheelchairs and they, and like a pet peeve from like little kids to grown adults to seniors will say like, treat me like a normal person. Don't, don't even like acknowledge that this wheelchair is even here. Like you don't need to treat me any different because I'm in a wheelchair. Like it's like non-existent. Like I'm still coherent. Like I'm still a person. Like just look at me and just like, you don't need to take six steps and give me this whole whack load of space to like walk around me just because I'm in a wheelchair. Right. Like, they're very independent. They want their independence and they want to be treated equally. And you can, you can easily do that. Yeah, uh, even even though pitied. Yeah. And, and even though, you know, people's intention sometimes might be, might be good um, with that. But uh, so I don't know. I think, I think volunteering and like ex- exposing yourself also like going back to like the the weirdos and the the people that are like on the fringes i don't know like spend time with those people they're 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 not as they're yeah and like yeah they're not i don't know they're not that like they're not that bad (laughs) or or, it's never that weird it's never as weird as, as as weird as the impression yeah i don't know it's like like philosophically it's like well what is weird like humans are like on such a broad scale. So like what, what is odd? What is strange? Like is, you know, playing, you know, creating art your whole life that doesn't bring you any financial sense. Is that weird? Or is like hustling, like all these like videos of like multimillionaires don't sleep, you know, like yeah, they get I up. I'm just so fucking tired of it. And it's just all like, it, man. give me a break. And it just plagues all of my, you know, all of my feeds and ads. It's YouTube or Instagram or whatever. Like, because yeah. I search a lot of business stuff, like all I see are just these morons, right? It's just, it's, it's intolerable. It's intolerable. It's, and that's why I, I'm on, like, like, I used to listen to Gary Vee a fair bit. And now I'm on like a, a big, like a, a strict Gary Vee diet. But, um, you know, because again, it, 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 like sometimes it just sounds like more of the same of that, like the whole hustle, hustle. I just don't have any, 
patience for hustle porn anymore. And I think Gary Vee can perhaps be an exception because a lot of the stuff that he says has some substance, mm. right? But but for you know for me it was just simple simpler to have a a, a black and white boundary where you know like if yeah you're in your in your garage <laughs> you know with your Lamborghini and just like they're just all the same they're all yeah. the same yeah like I saw some video of like some guy working out carrying like weighted I don't know weighted stuff and he's like climbing up a bridge he's just he's doing a workout right and then there's this you know music of this inspirational talk going on in the background about like you know you don't like you sleep eight hours a night that's a third of your life it's like meanwhile if you actually speak to like sleep scientists it's like or um i forget who it is jeff bezos if you talk if if you talk to him about his day like he sleep he makes sure that he gets like eight nine hours of sleep sleep is very very important don't let all these yeah, ads or inspirational videos or whatever talk to you about like, oh yeah, like hustle and like you don't need sleep. Sleep's actually very, very important. Get get sleep, especially right now. If there's any piece of advice that I would give to people during COVID is make sure you're getting a lot of sleep. Catch up on a lot of sleep. You'll probably feel great and you'll you'll get more done. You'll be more productive. Sure. So then how can we... Like how, how do you think we'd be more playful in our, in our business pursuits? Right. And, and, and I think part of it is like having the courage to, to forgo for an financial opportunity for pursuit of something that isn't necessarily a rational outcome, but it, but it, but it, it it'll probably end up bringing you joy. Right. So like, how do you have the courage to do that? And, and how, how can you apply that, you know, that to business? <laughs> The first thing that popped into my mind is um, um, I want to like articulate this properly. I think there should be more female leaders. I think there should be more female business owners. I think there should be more female politicians. Um, are you suggesting that females are irrational? Is that what this is? <laughs> no, I think they would. So I'll tell Jade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think that... Um, Uh, I think my answer to that is I think a lot of men need to check themselves on what the definition of what it means to be a man in 2020 moving forward. Um, so like the, the playfulness, it's like, I know when we're all kids, we're, we're playing and how, how, how are most men brought up? We're brought up to like, you know, like, Oh, toughen up, you know, don't cry. Um, you know, suck it up, um, like push, push through stuff, like all these like messages that you're taught that kind of like shape you into like the definition of like what it means to be a man when it's like, really take, take gender out of it. Men are so out of tune with emotions and how to deal with them, especially anger, um, and rage and the and and not not all obviously this isn't like do you think that that by just generally becoming more aware or perceptive of our emotions we'll be able to express express the this element of playfulness better totally in our business Uh, 
Yeah, totally. I actually had a weird thought uh, not long ago where I I interacted with an alien <laughs> from from some other planet, and this alien was able to like that express a a range of extreme emotions. Or I might have dreamed it. I I don't know. I can't remember. It might have been on like my hike out in nature or when I was sleeping, one of the, one of the other benefits of sleeping, you had to dream. Um, but it was, I don't know how to say it other than it was like, it was, it was weird. It was profound and it was beautiful because this creature was just able to express a wide range of emotions very quickly and I didn't know the alien's gender or whatever, but I just thought that's really interesting. Like that, like that, that's something that I think I would want to be able to do. I would want to actually be able to express that. And I think maybe that also ties to like my interest in acting. I would love to get into acting because you get to dive into different characters and explore different emotions and, different scenarios and live different lives through, through acting. Yeah. You get to experience, right? Like by living a character, you really are experiencing totally so, an entirely different point of view if you're good. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and in a safe uh, space or environment, because it allows you to do that. You get to act crazy or really sad or whatever. Usually you know, you're, you're emphasizing most emotions, but it's, but it's, it's heightened because it's, it's acting and you need to make sure that the audience gets that. So, and, and you don't often get to act like a lot of actors do. Although some people do, some people live crazy lives like Tiger King or or whatever. Right. But um, I forgot where I was going with that, but did you ever see that? Did you see that that Jim Carrey um, docu? I guess like a I don't even know what to call it because it's actually so esoteric. I think it was was it about Andy Griffiths? Is that his name? Andy Andy oh. Kaufman. Sorry, Andy Kaufman. Andy did you Kaufman. watch that? Yes. Did you like? I think that's a brilliant example of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right, like Jim Carrey is like storming around set, you know, and and the same way that when Andy did this years ago, it's like people didn't know who was actually going to show up. And like, he actually shows up, you know, if it's, I can't remember the character's name, but he's basically the buffoon, right? (laughs) He's the, he's the totally arrogant self-absorbed buffoon. And if he shows up pissed drunk, like he's actually going to throw bottles and start a fist fight, right? He's like fully absorbed in this. And it's like, you couldn't talk this person out of it. Yeah. Right. It's like, like there, you can't snap them and get them to wake up. Like they are, they are being that today and it's just so and it's just so funny and it's so it's it's i don't know it's profound yeah i think you know um not to segue too much off this point but if you look at any people that by a large populace would define as great like the greats um and pick stick in the in the art realm like great musicians great artists um, I think there's like lessons or, or attributes or values that you can like pull from them, the good ones. And then you can try and 
instill them in your own life you know you know you might not have like the same talent as they do but like who cares you might pull an attribute or value that you deem important from that person and then and then go about trying to keep that alive in some way um yeah yeah but i don't know to to your to your point about like you know going going into business and like how can you how how can you how you can play more i think where i was going was uh and why i said like partner or there should be more like female leaders is that I think because men typically want to get into business and want to create something their identity is like so tied to the business that they create. That can so easily be taken from you at a moment's instance. Like if you're, if your health goes to shit or if you get in a car accident or something and then you're not able to like carry out your, your businesses and you, and, and so much of that is defined by like who you are, then you're going to be in a place where you're absolutely crushed and you are going to be like, I, I don't know who I am. I don't know what, what like value there is. So I, I don't know if, um, I don't know if you need to, I guess like, yeah, spend more time trying, trying to figure out who you are. And like the failing is like part of the process. Cause like, I think you try, try lots of things and then hopefully something, you know, sticks and then you can. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think it's a, it's like such a widely held misconception that we know what we want to do or who we want to be. And then we pursue that. Whereas I think I'm learning that in reality, you cross those things off the list one at a time, right? And it really is like like via negativa, right? Like you 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 figure this thing these things out by by subtraction. You know, you have an endless list of things, and you slowly cross one one of them off at a time of what you don't want or what you don't want to do or who you don't want to be. And then over time, you you've whittled away, you know, a, just a, a a much smaller set of things that that you that you're that you still haven't eliminated and just by the fact that they're lasting they're they're certainly much much closer right to 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 the truth yeah and i think at the end of the day like we're not going to live rather forever we're we're here for a short period of time um the more like the more like self-aware you are, the more, the more times that you check in with being as present as possible, I think that can be very helpful. Um, I just had like two opposing thoughts as I was saying that because like maybe someone doesn't want to check in with this is it's great if you argue with yourself and i don't have to argue with you this is awesome yeah yeah i'm definitely having an internal (laughs) opposing dialogue um okay well let me finish my thought then maybe i'll voice my opposing argument after um you're let me see if i can get back on track here so you you have a short amount of time here i think a lot of people especially in North America, it seems with our culture of just like being in this rat race and just 
go, 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 go. And we're like putting things on automation. We're not checking in enough. There's not enough like self awareness. Um, and hopefully the, the lockdown globally has been a great opportunity for that. Totally. I know it was for me, right. To just like, wait, what, what the hell am I doing? Like, you know, am I, is this actually what I want? Yeah, totally. And, um, yeah, like check, checking in with yourself and and then making the necessary steps that you that you need to, but you've checked in, right? Like the more the more you do that, the better. And I think how that relates to like how men are raised is like typically you bottle a lot of emotions and then eventually it's gonna explode and then that's not good. Whoever is on the receiving end. Um, that's just not healthy and you're human and you have emotions. So you're, you're better off to like, you know, like unscrew the cap and let the fizz out a little bit at a time rather than just like shake it until it's just like ready to just burst. And then you like, that's just not good. Right. You can't live your life like a, a volcano. Um, so I think ch- checking in with yourself and then making these small steps, adjusting accordingly, I think that's what I would say is, is, is good. So if you, in one week, if you check in on Monday and then you check in on Friday and you actually take five minutes to be like, how was my week? I didn't play enough or it was too serious or it was too monotonous or whatever. The week got away with you and like check in and make sure you take like five minutes for something for yourself over either that day or the weekend, right? Something that's just, just for you, whether that be a walk, whether that be if you're in a wheelchair and you just go get some personal space, just yourself, like just, just do something just for yourself and it can be as easy as like a walk for two minutes to the end of the street and back but if you actually did that with a lot of like awareness and intent then like you're going to be better off than if you if you didn't do that i think you you, i we hope i'd hope so you hope yeah can't hurt right and then that's like practicing for, oh, you know, like I waited five days. I'm not going to wait that long because I actually need something a little bit more. Like, like example for me with like doing podcasts, like I, my goal was to do one a month for a year. And there was times um, that it was like too long in between episodes. And I like missed it and I craved it and I didn't do enough of them and it didn't like, I know it just, it didn't fulfill me enough. Like it was just, it was something that was missing in my life that I wanted to do. Right. Or if you like play sports, if you go a certain amount of time without, without playing, you're going to miss it and you're going to want to go in and, and do that. And then when you do it, you're like, Oh man, like I haven't done this in so long or play, play an instrument right? It's like the, the, those things you gotta, you gotta keep, you gotta keep doing that. Otherwise, yeah, I don't know, life's short. You want to make sure that you're, you're spending your time in enjoying it. And, yeah, uh, so, yeah, exactly. Living. 
living a life that you didn't choose. Mm. Yeah. Like, and like, like life's full of randomness. Like it's kind of cruel in a sense because we're beings that want structure and comfort, but if we have too much of it, it's actually not, we like, don't like it at the same time. Of course. Yeah. It's a balance. But then there's like all this randomness that happens and it puts us in, in, in uncomfortable situations or we just feel like uncomfortable and we don't like it because we're programmed not to like it. It's like a weird kind of existence, but that, that, that is life. So get comfortable knowing that there is randomness, anything can happen. And so that all you, all you, all you do have is like the present moment. And I'm not saying avoid all pain and not sit in shitty moments or of pain or whatever. I think you should sit in them because right now during COVID, everyone is in some stage of grief. It's like, what stage are you, are you in currently? Like check in, lean into that and then, and then go through the process and like move on because everything, I forget what, there's a really good parable about this dad and his son and it's like one day the uh the son goes off and sells a horse and he brings uh, brings home money he tells his dad hey dad i just made like a bunch of money um like isn't that great and then the dad's like it's neither great it's neither bad It, it like is what it is or whatever and then um sure the next- good good news bad news who knows Right. And then the next day, the, uh, the son gets, um, drafted or is about to get drafted off to war because there, a war broke out and the neighbor comes and says, uh, I'm butchering this, but I'll get the point across regardless. And the neighbor comes and says, Oh, isn't that awful? Like your son is drafted off to war. And the dad says, um, you know, it's neither good. It's neither bad. It is what it is. And so the next day comes and the country makes peace treaty and they're no longer going to war. And so the neighbor comes back and says, Oh, isn't that great? Um, you know, your son gets to stay. And his answer is the same. It's neither bad. It's neither good. It is what it is. So there's two things that I want to say about that parable. One is like, obviously this guy is the definition of like being even keeled and just like nothing really phases yeah, it's him. quite stoic right and he's going to go through life just you know happy medium nothing really phases him if he can live a life like that great however i think there should be some ebb and flow through life and you should have some highs some lows because with lows the highs are sweeter and i think it's just finding like a happy balance and not trying to be like too um really like extremes so i don't know maybe balance maybe that's the answer i really know everyone's like wired differently too so yeah yeah very cool yeah where where else do you want to take this where do we go from here man yeah i don't know um how much time we got uh I'm I'm good till whenever. Like do another say like fifteen. Sounds perfect, man. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. That sounds uh, just great. 
Yeah. Is there, is there questions that you have had time to think of during this time that want to just explore and just dig off or check off your list and just be like, yeah, this has been something that's been on my mind lately, currently. It's a long list. You know, I've had almost too much time for contemplation uh, and it's been, it's been great. It's been great, but it always leaves you in a, you know, in a, a state of disarray, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, it's a welcomed state of disarray. Needed. I, I don't know. Yesterday, uh, an interesting, interesting thought. I had listened to about an hour long interview with an international journalist society interviewing Anders Tegnell, who is the state epidemiologist for Sweden. Mm-hmm. And Sweden has taken a very different approach to most with this, uh, with, with managing their pandemic, you know, largely a much softer approach, like still social distancing. Like it's not, you know, it isn't life as normal, but business is still operating, kids still going to school, um, a very different approach. And now that there's some data, you know, he's kind of talking about what worked and what didn't and what they might change. And that got me thinking about where is this, like this widespread panic that we all have had, like certainly we need to, we, we need to listen to science, you know, generally, right? And, and I think that's important. And it's also important to balance that with, with the rather cynical question of who benefits most from something. And I think in, in this scenario, like, like who actually benefits, applying it to, to contrasting Sweden with, with Canada and how we've handled a lockdown or not, is like, like who has largely benefited from the state of, the state of panic that, that you know, most of North America is, is, is feeling? And I think the United States might be a bit different because they do have a very different situation than fortunately we're, we're experiencing in Canada. Right. But like, but like here, like this is largely under control, thankfully. Right. And it, and it could certainly get out of control, but today it isn't. And thinking about like who benefits most from this. And the obvious answer that, that I think we would land on is, is the media in general, right? Like, like media revenues are, you know, two factors, you know, number of eyeballs and the time that the eyeballs stay on the page and and what an inc- what a what a powerful incentive to convey a certain message that would be very very different than the message that would be circulating in the media in Sweden so that's something I'm, that's something I've been sitting with today hmm. of and not to not to attempt to downplay the obvious risks and just the uncertainty right at the end of the day it's like we don't know if this is a simple bug that will come and go and in in two years time we'll we'll just be it's just another flu bug you know no big deal or if there there are lasting 
permanent health consequences, even for those who are asymptomatic now or fully recover. I, there is a degree of, of, because we know so little about it, it requires a certain degree of care. But I think it also, like we, we, we would benefit from also being skeptical and, and not just blindly accepting all of these truths. I, I use that in air quotes that, that, are, that are widely circulating because we don't know anything. We don't know anything yet. And there is a, there's a very weighty incentive for panic to be, to be spread right now by those who, who spread panic. Mm-hmm. Right. If you ask your barber if you need a haircut, the answer is yes. And I think that, you know, that analogy might apply right now to, to all the, all the, the, the outlets with, with, from which we're consuming reports on, on a, on a pretty pressing global issue. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like a media's heyday, unfortunately. Of course it is, right? Think like, right. imagine, imagine the money they're making mm-hmm. from this and, and to, to naively assume that that the media would, would, would pursue truth above all else is exactly that. It's naive. Hmm. I've been thinking lately of conscious marketing and I've been thinking, reflecting on my short career thus far and how I have learned hopefully to tune into, you know, making sure I'm selective in what I'm marketing period. I've spent time in the for-profit space and then the non-profit space. Um, and so, you know, last place that I worked at dealt with, um, it was an organization in Winnipeg and it provided services for people with disabilities. I had no problem marketing that I would market that all day long because my intentions were, um, I don't know. I had good intentions and making sure one component of my job was storytelling. And I wanted to make sure that I told the story from an informational perspective so that people had the you know, correct, accurate information of X disability and the barriers that these people faced. And then also written with even though these people face these disabilities or or barriers and have these disabilities um here's what they're able to accomplish there was it wasn't like whitewashed hope but it was just like like actually look at this right it was to like break down barriers of preconceived notions of people with disabilities and what they were or were not, were not capable of doing um we just said kind of reminds so anyways intentional marketing i think is something that's just been floating around in my head and conscious marketing so going back to awareness i think is really key and i think a lot of marketers need to make sure that they are that they that they understand what conscious marketing is and and then hopefully they you know do a good job at at such um, 
not over catastrophizing something, but getting your point across in a clear way that is hopefully to be taken serious. And, and that's that. Um, but we've got so desensitized and numb that it just gets more and more ridiculous and it just gets glazed over, right? Like the stuff that you do hear in the news is ridiculous, but what people sometimes forget is that we're actually living in, in like over the course of history, the most peaceful time that we've ever lived in with the most amount of people. There's more, there's an interesting stat that popped out of me in, um, in Sapiens and it was, um, more people die from car crashes per year than um, like, I don't know, violent deaths. But you hear about all the violence and deaths in the news, right? But like car. Yeah, there's no incentive of peaceful times. Nasib, uh, the the book I'm reading right now, um, Nasib Talib talks about just this. Right. Like there's no money in peace journalism. Right. There just isn't. Right. Um, But then it also makes me think of happiness and Sweden. And I know the study of happiness has been, it's relatively new. Um, But the little that I know in regards to happiness is that I think as a country, I think Sweden ranks pretty high up there. Right. And so that culture, that country values that probably higher than some other things. And I think this pandemic has been very, has put leaders and countries in a position of do you care more about the economy or, or protecting people's health? It's like, which one do you want, right? If you're going to- Well, sure. And there's also an obvious relationship between them, which we can't ignore, right? Yeah. Oh, like it's not, it's, it's not healthy for 30% of people to, to not have the meaning of a job. Totally. Right. And if, if, if everyone's in the bread line, you know, that's not particularly good for health either, be it mental, physical, right? That's right. So- Yeah. So I don't know. It's very challenging and there's many, many factors that, that, that come into play. So who, who is to benefit most? I know Sweden probably in a sense will come out on top depending on how you look at it, but maybe the overall general population will come out happier. Um, but I don't know what, what is their infrastructure like from a health standpoint to be able to provide the services needed for their country, right? Like in the States, I mean, how many people have healthcare, common healthcare, take a pandemic out of it. There's so many people that for lack of a better word are totally fucked. And then now you add a pandemic into it. It's like, well, the country needs to correct their, their healthcare system. And the majority of countries worldwide aren't set up for a pandemic. And so they need to make sure that in the future, hopefully, because humans are pretty short-sighted, that we take the necessary precautions to stockpile masks, to make sure that our healthcare system is properly equipped for something like this so that you can actually do things like Sweden, 
right? If we had we were all vastly the, underprepared. Yeah, we're vastly underprepared. And why? It's 2020. This is stupid. Why? Because we've all been sleeping. We've all been going. Yeah, the decadent West. It's just too comfortable. Yeah. And uh, so, I don't know. Good on Sweden. I'd, I'd like to see how, like, you know. Yeah, it's country. interesting. It's a long-term approach. Yeah. Right? Like, they, he, he sort of shared that his strategy the intent of the strategy was that it would be sustainable for the entire duration that it took to get to, to a vaccine that'd be widely accessible. So, you know, 12 to 18 months. And as we now know, a lockdown is certainly not sustainable for, for 12 to 18 months. And we'll all go crazy. We'll be crazy. And and like Bill Burr says that you can't make 60% of the country homeless, you know, like it's just it's too great it's too great a cost and he, and he's he's saying that facetiously because he is all for so you know physical distancing and whatnot, um, but but it, but it's true, right? Like like Sweden's approach of of choosing something that they deem to be sustainable, everyone still has their jobs, kids are still going to school, you know, only high school and universities are doing distance learning. Mm. They said both because there's plenty of evidence to suggest that it's effective. First of all, like it works really well. It doesn't really work well for younger kids. And that those people travel a lot more, not, not just between cities or what have you, but just around, like they're much more mobile, you know, that they cover a lot more ground every day. So they, they have a higher probability of being a vector for disease than kids who go to school and back. Like they just don't interact with as many people, which I thought was interesting. And then not only now, if parents choose to work from home, as I believe many in Sweden are, they, it, it, makes, it makes it possible to work from home. Mm-hmm. Like our, um, my kind of like my, my right-hand man in Winnipeg, like he's got two kids, uh, four and six-ish. Uh, forgive me if I get it wrong, Dan. Um, but uh, like it's nearly impossible for him. Like he's running a daycare while trying to do his job, right? Like, and like the added stress that all parents are, are feeling or must be feeling right now because their kids are out of rhythm. Like that's, that, that adds a level of unsustainability as well. Totally. I think, yeah. Yeah. I think on, you know, it depends on the age of the kid or kids and, uh, and, and the family dynamic. I know some parents that are loving it and that, you know, they've, they've got all this extra time with their kids. And I mean, out in, at least in the Okanagan here, a lot of families homeschool, and they've enjoyed having this extra time and take that with a grain of salt because that's probably that's ephemeral and there's probably yeah, it's pretty really anecdotal low times and it's as well. be a minority yeah yeah but um but yeah the the kids that are staying at home for school and now the parents that are still working full time and then raising kids you're now the teacher, you're now, um, you know, you're, you're doing everything. It's got to be absolutely just exhausting. And I, I could definitely appreciate just how difficult that is. And you want, you know, life to kind of go back to, to normal, um, as much as possible. Um, yeah, I don't know. Cause like looking at, uh, like Sweden's, approach like you could say well um i know they also maybe you take take the argument side of they 
maybe realize and understand or put at a higher level of importance, like people's mental health, mental well-being, they value that really, really high. Mm-hmm. And so they're able to just go ahead and make that decision because that is, you know, that, that could be very detrimental to if you, if you took that away from, from them and look at uh, other countries that don't give two shits about their society's mental well-being and they're in extreme lockdown and the stress that it has on the families and they have you know i was talking to a neighbor of mine from he's from in india and he's got family in india and they've been on very strict lockdown in this particular city and uh like the grocery stores are closed down and people don't even have access to to get to that how stressed are they what's their level of well, I say, and like the shocking, like now that there's data to that, there's data that's coming out. Like the shocking thing is that yes, Sweden's rate of infection is slightly higher, but it's not that much higher. Yeah. Right. And even if they have sixty people dying, which is sixty terrible tragedies, and it's important to you know, like to remember, like those, they're not numbers on a page. Like those are people's lives, and that's a family's family member. Mm-hmm. But but sixty, right? Like sixty deaths instead of thirty deaths is double but it's 30 deaths, right? It's 30 deaths in a country of millions of people. Mm-hmm. So like, it, it's important to, to keep it in a perspective, right? And not lose, not lose sight of the, like, like as Con, like Daniel Kahneman would say, like, like the, the base rate, you know, like what's the actual base rate here? Cause you know, 1% of a small number is a small number and you know, 2% of, of, of something is double, but if it's still a small number, it's still small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one other really interesting, um, an interesting piece of the strategy he mentioned was they didn't encourage anyone to wear any masks, regardless of the of the of whether it was deemed scientifically to be effective or not. They didn't care about that. They thought that suggesting people to wear masks would encourage them to go out unnecessarily and and they were like they they wanted to encourage people that if you feel slightly sick even slightly stay home don't take any risk with it stay home and by not giving people a a a false sense of responsibility by by giving them that oh it's okay i can wear the mask they thought that there would actually be a net benefit because more people would follow the direction to stay home if they felt at all ill that's like smart mass reverse psychology. It, right. Very interesting. Like it's thinking of the, of the, of the, the secondary effects of these things, like, right. Like the, the downstream effects of, of these decisions, which is so interesting instead of just first order consequences, like they're actually thinking of, you know, third, fourth order consequences. And I, I mean, I'd like to think that our government is too, but I don't know that just struck like, it just seems so interesting, different. Yeah. It's uh, forward and kind of like European long-term, like North American long-term is very short-term. Yeah, so we cannot think longer than a quarter, like, right, to save our lives. Like, usually it's day-to-day. Yeah. It's funny. And you contrast it with China where it's like you're thinking 100 years ahead. Totally. Totally. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. absolutely. That's wild. Yeah. Well, this this has been fun. This is good, man. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me out.
thanks for hey this this is this is great thanks for being on the podcast and i'll let you know once it's uh it's posted live and um we'll we'll have to do a round two sometime i'd like that yeah okay take well, care of so yourself much. man yeah you too see you later hey, you bet ciao cheers Hey folks, Dean here. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. And as mentioned in the intro, feel free to watch the podcast if you really enjoyed it. And that is now posted to my YouTube channel. I have been, as mentioned in the episode, experimenting with different formats, trying out new things. And this episode was recorded via Zoom and uploaded to my YouTube channel. Link is in the description of this episode. So feel free to check that out and hit subscribe so that you get notified on when the next episode is going to come live. And speaking of subscribing, make sure you subscribe to whichever podcast platform you are listening on. And more importantly, let us know what you thought of the episode by commenting either on YouTube or heading on over to www.simpletounderstand.com and you can leave a reply in the episode section at the bottom of the page. Let us know what you thought. I have also been linking a list of questions, about three to five or so questions at the end of each podcast, starting with this one, but I also was starting to do that with my vlogs, just to encourage interaction with my audience and listeners. I would love to hear more from you guys, so I encourage you to take a moment and uh, leave a comment below. Thanks so much for sticking it with us. This was a longer episode, but I hope it was enjoyable. And stay tuned for the next episode of the Simple to Understand podcast. Thanks so much. And until next time, take care.